All right, let's pray. I'm going to finish up in Nehemiah 13. And uh, let's ask the Spirit of God to speak to us. Lord, we thank you for another day. We thank you for this week where, for many of us, we do get to stop or at least slow down and think about how you have been faithful, just like we sang. God, we're asking you now to speak a word to our soul. Holy Spirit, you were sent by the Father to, to reveal to us what is true and to remind us of everything that Jesus has for us. So we invite you now, Holy Spirit, to teach us as we open the word of God. We want to hear from you and we want to walk in the places and do the things that are important to you, King of Kings. So help us to hear and see. We pray these things because of Jesus. And everybody said together, uh, amen. So this is uh, the last week on Emerge Brighter. And hopefully by now you realize that the two books of Ezra and Nehemiah are not about a building plan. They're not about how to be a better leader. It's not about a return from Babylon to Jerusalem or a temple or walls. In the end, those things happen, but those books are about how a people can encounter the presence of God and grow in pressing into the presence of God together because where they were living apart from the land, away from the temple, it was hard for them to connect with God's presence. And really for us, the whole concept of emerging brighter is not about how to get out of COVID or how to navigate these difficult times. It's actually bigger than that. Is how can we together grow to become God's people where Jesus' presence is primary in our world and we're learning from him and we're actually taking steps to live as his people whether the circumstances are good or not. Now, we, every week we have a driving question and this week, even though our community groups are, are done for this session, maybe your community group's going to have a Thanksgiving thing or a Christmas thing, we'll kick it off again formally in January. But I want us to drive through this question and press into it. How do we keep from repeating the same mistakes again and again? You ever find yourself just doing the same thing? You know you shouldn't do it. But, but you end up doing it no matter how much you try. Like, I have a problem. I get hangry. I don't know about you. It's like a Snickers commercial after me. If I get hungry, I get angry. And the, they, they happen at the same time, and I don't even realize it. So I'll get snappy. I mean, my wife is so kind. We have, like, food in the car for me. Because when I get hungry, I get hangry. And what, I know sugar's a gift from God, and I know I can wait. But why? Do I get angry when I get hungry? And, and is there anything I can do about it? Well, that's kind of lighthearted. But I know some of you, here's what this last two years has helped you to see. There are things that you're leaning into that are not helpful. But you lean into them anyway. There are habits that are not life-producing, yet you find yourself going there again and again and again. And if this is you... This is what it's like to be a part of the people of God. We're going to see from Nehemiah 13 that there is no fairy tale ending. There is no happily ever after for the people of God. As a matter of fact, Nehemiah ends in a weird way. It's a mess. Now, what does that have to say to our story? Let's just read the Bible for a bit. And I'm going to talk to you today 
about compromise. Because what happens is if you keep doing the thing that's harmful again and again and again, and why do we keep going back to it? There could be areas of compromise in our soul that are undealt with, and here's the goodness of God. He wants to expose them to bring light and to bring life and to bring help in Jesus' name. So there's good news, but it starts with not so good news. So let's just look at uh, Nehemiah 13, and we'll look at verse 4. Before this, Eliashiv, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. And he was closely associated with Tobiah. Notice the phrase, closely associated. And he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and temple articles, and also the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil prescribed for the Levites, musicians, and gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for the priests. If you're new, what's happened is God brought the people back to the land, they rebuilt the temple, and now decades later they rebuilt the walls. And this last snapshot is what the community, I'll call them the church, was thinking in light of Jesus. What does the church look like? Verse six, but while all this was going on, I, Nehemiah speaking, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I returned to the king. He's from Babylon. There's a new king. He calls him back into his service. And so, so Nehemiah is not there. Here, I learned about the I'm sorry, jump back. King of Babylon, I returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. Here I learned about the evil things Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased. And how's this for a response? And threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. How's that for a church meeting? I gave orders to purify the rooms and then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings in the incense. So I want us to think for a couple of moments about how this ends and, and how we together don't have to end this way. We don't have to. This happens before the coming of Jesus. As a matter of fact, I'm convinced that this ends on a downer because it proves, as you're reading the Bible story, our need for a savior. You see, you can have a temple, you can have a church building, you can have walls, you can have protection, you can have safety, you can have money, and you can miss out on the presence of Jesus. We need Jesus more than a building. We need Jesus more than a wall. And so I think the end of Nehemiah proves to us you could get a lot of stuff done and honor God even, but we still need Jesus. That's why I think it fits in the larger story of God. But where do you see compromise first and foremost? Well, first we see it in, in chapter 13, compromise in worship. Tobiah, if you remember from a couple weeks ago when Steve was teaching, he was one of the guys like dead set against what God is doing. But he's good buddies with Eliashab the priest. And so Nehemiah goes thousands of miles away and look who slips in the door. It's Tobiah. And a room that's supposed to be used to collect these resources for God's people to share so that people can eat and drink and survive. And the people who are serving in the temple who can't work the land, they'll be provided for based on the generosity of all of the church. You know what happens here? 
That room dedicated is now given to his buddy, and his buddy's storing his own stuff in there, and who knows what he's taking from God's house. You know, it is possible to see God's people together in various lenses. I want to talk about the romantic view. Some of you, um, you're newer to following Jesus, you're newer to the faith, and you may have a romantic view of what it means to to be a part of the church. Like, everyone loves Jesus all the time. Everyone smiles all the time. Uh, Everyone is good all the time. Everyone does all the right things all the time. And those of you who've been in church for more than three weeks realize (laughs) that's not the case. We can't have a romantic view where we think, I follow Jesus today and it's an upward climb. There's no dips, there's no fall-offs, there's no slips. It's just not the way church is. And if you have that lens, you're going to be severely disappointed. But at the same extreme, don't, don't go to that extreme. Don't go to the other extreme, which is the cynical view of church, where I know someone who did this, and this happened in this church, and this happened in that church, and everyone in church is a hypocrite. Therefore, I don't even go anymore. That's another lens why, why oh, I think many people, in light of two years of separation, are starting to wonder, like, is any of it even worth it? I mean, they disappoint me, and they're not who they're supposed to be, and they say they believe this, but they live that way. Well, that's not a healthy view, because frankly, while everyone does sin, not everyone is living a sin-saturated life. And while sometimes we hurt one another, sometimes it's unintentional, but even if it is intentional, we're all frail, we're all messed up, and before we pick out the speck out of someone else's eye, we should take care of the massive log in our own. We all have challenges in our following Jesus, so it shouldn't surprise us when other people have challenges in their following Jesus in regards to me. I think we need to take the honest view of church, which is Nehemiah 13, that sometimes people are doing the wrong thing. Here's the good news. God sends Nehemiah back, filled with the Spirit of God, to remind the people that right is right and wrong is wrong. So this guy should not be in God's house and this room should not be used for that purpose. So they clean house and and it goes well. So when it comes to 26 West Church, if this is your home, uh, just need to know we have to have an honest view. We're all in process. We're all moving towards whom God has already made us. We're sons and daughters of God. We belong to Jesus. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to be with Jesus forever. This is our calling. This is who we are, right? Yet, we struggle with sin. We wrestle with doubt. And sometimes we hurt one another, whether we want to or not. We have to make room for those things intention. God doesn't want it, but it does happen. And so I would just say to you, uh, think about compromise in the way we actually follow Jesus. We need to be honest about it. Verse 10, um, it's not just compromise in their Sunday gathering, so to speak. It actually is more closer to home. I also learned that the portions assigned, verse 10, um, to the Levites had not been given to them, and all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their posts. 
what happened, the, the leaders were not, weren't getting paid in their system. God provided that everyone would farm the first tenth of all the crops and all the animals was given back to the work of God. And, and that was their way of making sure the people who were working full time in the temple actually had something to eat. But people, so it's not just like Tobiah and, and the scandal of him using that room. That was one issue. But actually the compromise in worship came from people not taking their personal responsibility. And so they, they weren't giving. So, so the, the people had to leave Verse 12, all Judah then brought the tithes of grain, new wine, oil, into the storerooms. I put Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and a Levite named Pedadiah in charge of the storerooms. And I made Hanan, son of Zachar, son of Mathaniah, their assistant, because they were considered trustworthy. And they were made responsible for distributing the supplies to their fellow Levite. So, so God's people weren't tithing. They weren't living generous. They weren't obeying God's commands. And in that, some of the leaders probably weren't super responsible. And so Nehemiah puts things back in order. By the way, this is not a new problem. This problem was in the community before they were sent away to Babylon. This problem was centuries old. In other words, compromise is a challenge for every generation. And it's not just a them or a they, it's an us thing. And so it's happening in their place of worship. People weren't fulfilling their responsibility and those who were trying to lead and serve were suffering. And then some of the leaders needed to be removed. This is church. We are made perfect in Jesus, but he's working our perfection in the frail now. And so with that, there has to be adjustments, which is why God's people need to be together because sometimes we don't even see the compromise in our own life, but thank God for a family. But the compromise isn't just a weekend thing. It's a work thing. Jump down to verse 15. In those days, I saw the people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with the wine, the grapes, the figs, and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. I'll just pause. This is a day where they're not supposed to do this. Six days of work and one day to worship and enjoy, to be with God's people, eat a meal, take a nap, go for a walk, and just live in the goodness of God, remembering I'm not a machine, I'm not a droid, I'm not just here to work. I am here to enjoy my creator. So God is all about work. Six days, not five. Six days you can get everything done, but there's a day where you don't have to produce because God has already produced all that you need. So the people know this, all right? That's not in the Bible verse, but I need you to know the background. Therefore, I warn them against selling food on that day. And people from Tyre, which is a neighboring area, who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. So not only were the people doing what was wrong, they were allowing other people to come in and do what was wrong. So I rebuked the nobles, the leaders of Judah, and said to them, what's this wicked thing you're doing? Desecrating the Sabbath day? Didn't your ancestors do the same things? Notice, there's nothing new. So that our God brought all this calamity on us in the city, now you're stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. When evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, 
I ordered the doors to be shut and not be open until Sabbath was over. And so Nehemiah has to sweep in and say, look, we're not even, forget about worship uh, and the challenges there. We're not, we're not living in God's rhythm. We're not, we're not living the sixth day and one day we're, we're dishonoring God. By the way, they did it before and it's not going to go well. So I stationed some of my own men at the gates so that no load could be brought in on the Sabbath day. Once or twice, the merchants and sellers of all kinds of goods spent the night outside Jerusalem. But I warned them and said, why are you spending the night out of the wall? As if they can get by him. I love this. He's so New York. This is so good. If you do this again, I'll arrest you. My kind of guy. From that time on, they no longer came on the Sabbath. That's right. Then I commanded the Levites, purify themselves. Go, guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember me for this, my God. Show mercy to me according to your great love. Instead of honoring God in the everyday of life, all of the people on all levels, the leaders and those who own the shops, there were people who were just trying to do uh, God life their own way, which is basically what compromise is. Um, it's funny how this, this works. You think the rhythms of God would work in ordinary day life. There, there are companies who live this way. I'm not saying every company has to, but there are companies, um, Chick-fil-A lives this way, and there's that um, housing supply store that guys aren't supposed to go into. What is it? Hobby Lobby, right. I, I can't go in that store, man. Just, I don't, I don't get it. I just don't get it. But Hobby Lobby, who say like, you know what? We're going we're gonna to live in God's rhythm of work and rest. And, and we're going to even give our people a day off. And the funny thing is they do really well. And some struggle working seven days. But the point here is they weren't living into the convictions that should have been theirs. And so there's compromise that's possible when we're together in the church. There's compromise that's possible in our own discipleship and following Jesus. And if you're living a seven-day life where you're just going ragged and not thinking about trusting God with your life to say, I can stop because God said it's okay. And I can enjoy him. And I don't have to worry about the next day because God is thinking about me. See, this is a heart issue, not just a work issue. And some of us are so driven our drivenness is going to lead us away from the presence of God rather than to enjoy the presence of God. That's where the people are. And then there's compromise in the home. I'm not going to read it because it's, this is probably the worst one, but they had just a chapter beforehand, two chapters beforehand, they had been intermarrying with people who are following other faiths. And God had said clearly to them, when you're in the land, I need you to be united in the home. So, so, the people of God worship one creator, Yahweh. That is his name. And they follow in that way. But the other nations, they have all these other gods and goddesses and all of these other things that are going to draw your attention away. So God was saying, look, if you don't want to follow other paths that are going to lead you away from me, what you need to do is make sure that you're united in the home. Well, we're going to find out if you read the rest of the chapter that they don't do that. It was so bad that some of them were marrying and having kids and they knew the faith and language of the pagan gods and didn't even know their Bible. They didn't even know the God who had given them the land. And so there was compromise in the way that they're living at home. By the way, these are not new problems. 
compromise in church, compromise at work, compromise in the home. All of these are repeats. Why do we keep repeating the same mistakes again and again and again? It's possible to start well and end poorly. That's what you see from Ezra and Nehemiah. They start well and God speaks to their leaders and the people rise up and they give generously and they do the work, but it seems like they're ending, ending on a slippery slope. And it's possible for you to love Jesus right now, but find yourself six months from now slipping. They, they end up going the wrong way. And this is 15 years of a gap between the wall and Nehemiah returning and in, in, in less than 15 years, we're about almost 10 years old as a church. And we had an amazing start for those of you who were here at the beginning. And there was just this passion and worship and outreach. And I feel like, man, God's been so good to us. He's kept us through all the seasons and all of the changes. But it's possible to allow the last two years of disruption to get us so out of the heart of God. And the goal of this series, Emerge Brighter, is, is, is a clarion call to follow Jesus with everything, which partly is a warning. And in the end of Nehemiah, there's a real warning. I don't want to be the church that had a great start and a horrible ending. Do you? You in your home, if you've been married six months, a year, two years, you don't want to look 15 years down the road and see a, a train wreck. Nobody wants that. No one wants to raise their kids and all that hard work and sacrifice and to have them leave the nest to realize the nest has been on fire. And there is no nest. And there is no relationship. And there is no future. None of us want that. Neither does God. So we get the word of God to remind us what we need to do is break the cycle of compromise. Whether that's in our work one with another, whether that's you in you living out your faith where you work in your neighborhood, in your spheres of influence, or whether that's really in intimate places within your home, compromise is real. And, and this ends like a downer. What a message right before Thanksgiving, huh? Have your cranberry sauce and smile. I mean, this, is, this seems like a difficult one. Here's a, here's a great part. This is where it ends, but when you think about the need for Jesus, I want us to spend the last couple of minutes thinking about, okay, this ended with a, a warning, but where does Jesus' message to his people end? The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all have an ending, right? Where's the trajectory? If Jesus is the one who could do what Nehemiah and Ezra could not, if Jesus is the one who could send the Spirit to empower us to actually live out our faith in ways that they had struggles with, what does it mean for us to emerge brighter? What's the end of the chapter for us to lean into and jump from? I want us to end with Matthew 28. So just go to the right in your Bible. Some of you know this very, 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 familiar passage. Jesus goes to the cross. He pays for our sin. He rises again. And, and this is kind of the ending of the life of Jesus on earth and the beginning of his people continuing his work on earth. The goal of the temple and Jerusalem and worship 
was never about God's people alone. It was always about God's work in the world. And your calling to do whatever, wherever, is never just about you. It's about what God wants to do through you for the good of others around you. And so just like the people, they were supposed to worship in a pure way. Why? Because when those traders will come in Jerusalem to trade goods, that was an opportunity for them to talk about the goodness of God. When people were wondering about worship and why do these people spend a day off with no concern about tomorrow, it's because they know the faithfulness of God. What we do is about us, for sure. It's about our good, for sure. But it's really about a platform to talk about the goodness of God with other people. And so Jesus is about to leave the earth and Matthew 28, 16 says this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted, which is so cool. That's church, right? I mean, Jesus is alive. He's appeared to them multiple times. He's about to send them out, and some are struggling and wondering. And that's the nature of what it means to be a part of a church. So hear me clearly. You don't have to believe. You don't have to believe this to be a part of this church. You don't have to believe that the Bible is the word of God to be a, a part of this church. You could come with your honest doubts. You could come and ask good questions. You could come and wrestle with it because that's exactly what happens when Jesus is commissioning his disciples. Some are wondering, I don't know what this is all about. So some worshiped, some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We want to remember who we are just like at the end of Nehemiah. The goal was remember, Nehemiah had to remind them, remember who you are. The reason we don't do this is because that didn't lead to anyone's good. The reason we do this is because this is what honors God. And so for us, this is like the clarion call. Church really matters. And our connection to God's people really matters because this is God's plan to share his love with the world. And just like he called Israel in Jerusalem to be the center of worship at the temple, the presence of God, that was how the world was going to know who God was. So now, fulfilled in Jesus, he brings a people called the church. And, and how is the world going to know God's love? Through his church, through you, through me, through us following Jesus together. So how do we share God's love with the world? Well, just like Nehemiah had to remind them that implies some things. Uh, let me just remind you what seems to be clear, but sometimes it isn't. How do we share God's love with the world? By making disciples. Just look. Go into all the world and make disciples. What is that? We love people by inviting them to the one that we love, Jesus. Making disciples is about it's not about just transferring truths to people and say, these are the 10 things God wants you to believe. No, it is about this Jesus that I know, this Jesus who is changing me. I'm inviting you into the love of God. And, and this Jesus who is doing this thing in my world with all my flaws, with all my shortcomings, he's inviting you to a whole new way of living 
not just to come to a building on the weekend, not just to join a club, not just to read a book, but to actually walk with the living God. And the making of disciples is the, we're always learning from another Jesus follower. We're always sharing with another Jesus follower. It's about receiving and giving and receiving and giving. And just like in a healthy family, parents are learning from their kids in a healthy family. And kids are learning from their parents. And sometimes dads aren't, aren't getting hangry. You know, but, but, but we, in, a, in a healthy family, and then if you throw grandparents and aunts and uncles and friends in the mix, in a healthy situation, you have this transfer of love. And so you find yourself doing stuff and say, wow, that was my dad. How did I do that? Why did I say that? That was my dad, or that was my mom, or that was my brother. Because their life is impacting your life. And the making of disciples is the central mission of Jesus' church. That's how we love people, by saying you're invited. Well, then how are disciples going to be made? And then Jesus tells us, by going, go. We have an active posture of sharing with the world. We're not waiting for people to show up in church. You're actually not showing up to church. You are the church. You show up to a building where the church gathers. But we're not just saying like, hey, if you're looking for a spiritual tip, here we are, and donuts. No, we are actively engaged in people's lives because we love them. Why? Because we've been loved. Why? Because this Jesus is, is transforming me. And so this Jesus is transforming me is so good, I can't hold him to myself. So we're a going church. We're a baptizing church. We're inviting people to say, follow him. And so God's people have always said this Jesus is wonderful and he died and he rose again and he paid our sin debt in full and he's offering you eternal life. If you receive Jesus Christ, you have life. Until you receive Jesus Christ, you're not fully living yet. There's life you don't even know about. So we're baptizing people saying, come, follow him. But we're not just baptizing, we're teaching them to obey everything Jesus said. How much did Jesus say? A lot. He said a lot about everything. He taught us how to love one another. He taught us how to sacrifice. He taught us how to forgive. He, he taught us how to spend his resources. He taught us how not to worry. See, so, so we have a very clear goal and mission as God's people, and then we're a trusting people because at the end, Jesus says, and surely I'm with you always. How's, how does any of this work? It's not by us. Jesus said, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So here's the beauty. Even though we're broken and even though we don't have it all together and even though we're all at different stages, there's no reason why church should work. This is crazy how any of this works. But you know why it does? Because Jesus is in the middle of it. And so just as in the old before Jesus, how in the temple area, the candles would always stay lit and the fire was always going. It never went out. And it was the visible reminder that even in the middle of the dark, you could look up at the temple and there was light. Because the presence of God was always with his people. And so Jesus says the same thing. But the temple is now not a building. We are the temple, those who embody the presence of Jesus, who be given the Spirit. So we're the temple. We're God's people all together. And what are we? We're a disciple making. We're inviting people into life with us so that we can follow Jesus together. We're baptizing, inviting people in. We're teaching. We're, we're trusting that God's going to do this. 
And this is why it's important, and this is why church really, 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 really matters. None of this can be done solo. None of it. None of this. We need each other. Three things I want to leave you with that kind of summarize the series, and if you've only caught this one message, hopefully you caught the spirit of the last two months. Three things I believe we need to embrace as a church to emerge brighter post a series, but into the season that God's calling us to step into. Number one, to emerge brighter, we need to be shaped by Jesus and his teaching. We need to actually be shaped by him. Um, And that's going to require something of us. It means knowing what Jesus actually says. Are, Are you even wanting to know more of this Jesus and all he has to say about your life and my life and the future and the world? Who's really shaping you? We think we shape ourselves, but that's the biggest illusion. You are being shaped by the people you are listening to, you are reading, you are being influenced by. The question we have to ask ourselves, especially in this COVID distorted world, is who's actually shaping you. Not who you think is shaping you, but who has your attention? Who has your allegiance? Who do you cut time out for to give time to? That's what's really shaping you. And unfortunately for many of us, just like at the end of Nehemiah, we need to be a bit of a reality check. To emerge brighter as Jesus' people, we need to be shaped by Jesus and his teaching. And in order to do that, the second thing I think we need to remember is to emerge brighter. We need to take personal responsibility. We need to own what's ours. See, the, the people weren't, the business owners weren't owning up to the fact they were selling on the Lord's Day and Nehemiah called them to account and they actually shut the doors of the city and said, stop it. You got to take responsibility. What you're doing is impacting others. And this is something we need to, we need to grow in. Now, seasons of disconnection have made it very apparent that for some of us, the structures that were holding us together have been broken apart, and we're wondering why our foundation seems to be breaking apart. Uh, and, and some of it may be we were relying on the structures more than Jesus. And so this is a healthy breakup call. COVID has been horrible in many accounts, but I think it's actually been a gift to the church. It's been a gift to us. Here's why. It showed us where our allegiance really is. And it showed us how quickly we are willing to throw things away when times get hard. I'm going to say well done to all of you uh, either watching in right now or those of you especially who are coming. Uh, I'll, I'll go on record. No one wants to worship with a mask. Nobody. Nobody wants to. But by your commitment to say, I want to be in the presence of Jesus with other people, that is a marker of personal responsibility and owning it. So I just say to you, well done. Well done. Now, we don't want to shrink back from that, but we also want to own the development of our faith. What am I saying? And and hear this with, with love. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I am not responsible, and our elder team is not responsible to grow your walk with Jesus. We are responsible to present Jesus. But if you have no desire to learn, no desire to grow, no desire to cut out things that are unlike Jesus so that you could fill them with the presence of Jesus, 
then hear me, you will not grow. Let me do it in positive. Any of you who has any desire to grow in Jesus will grow. You're going to grow because your desire is going to push you to take responsibility to say, if I do not read anything that Jesus says, how am I going to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? How am I going to love my neighbor as myself when I'm not even connected to Jesus? So in these moments, we need to be shaped by Jesus and own what's ours, take our responsibility. Finally, the third thing, to emerge brighter, we need to grow in community engagement which is a very fancy way of saying togetherness. We need to grow in our togetherness in two areas. We need to grow in our togetherness or our community engagement, life on life with one another. We need each other more than ever. If the last two years hasn't proven that, I don't know what it's proven. We need one another because left to our own devices, we will slip and we will slide we usually, a few people, and they usually get books written about them. A few people can emerge brighter. Most of us slip into darkness. So we need one another, which, which means this ongoing work that you're doing. So many of you are, I'm so, I'm so proud. So many of you, our percentage of people who come on Sunday and are also connected midweek in a community group has skyrocketed higher. Which says, you're saying, I'm going to invest my life in someone else. Well done. Well done. And if you're not yet there, I'm just saying that's the next step to take. But community engagement is not just about us loving one another, which sounds exciting. That's never been the mission of the people of God. It's we're connected with one another to build one another up so that we can be Jesus's people wherever we go. So we want to grow in community engagement with our actual city, like Hillsboro and Beaverton or Forest Grove or Portland or, you know, Scappoose or wherever you're coming or connected from, we want to grow deeper roots in the months and years ahead to be connected with the heartbeat of what's going on in our city. Why? Because we're good news people, right? We, we know Jesus, but we're not arrogant about it, by the way. We're humbled by it, but we know him. And we know the answer to life is a person, not a program. So we want to introduce as many people to Jesus as possible. And so this is where we're headed as a church. So, so are, you going to, are you going to take ownership? Are you going to take responsibility? Are you going to hear the words compromise, not as a guilt trip? Hear me. You don't need another guilt trip. I don't need another guilt trip. But an invitation to turn and to listen to the word of God and say, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to hear what you're saying, and I'm going to move in your direction. I, I pray that for you. I pray that for us. And on a related note, as we, um, as we worship, I'm going to invite the team to come back. Um, it's, it's the reason why I believe, and we believe as a leadership team, that pivoting this space to be one of the most welcoming places in our city is going to help us with community engagement. Uh, thousands and thousands of people, we pray, are going to be in this space for reasons other than church, but we just believe that will be the platform for relationship. So someone comes to the, does a wedding and we're able to serve them well, and someone comes to do a business conference and we serve them well, or a fundraiser for their charity and we serve them well. We just believe that that's gonna be an open door to connect life on life with people in our city, to love them and, and to build relationship and in the end, to share good news with people who maybe don't even realize they need it. And, and that's our hope and prayer. So um, 
Are you going to engage? I, I pray that you will. All right, I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet if you would. We're going to respond with singing words to God. We're going to respond by taking communion if you're at home. We want to invite you to grab the bread and the cup. We'll take that after a song. We're going to engage in prayer one with another. I'm going to sound like a broken record if you know what a record used to be. Um, we want to grow in being a people that are not ashamed to say, uh, we want to pray for one another. So right at the back, if you're in the space, if you're online, you need to click prayer button and it will link you to a chat. But here in the room, we just have friends who make themselves available. They don't know it all. And they don't, they don't have the cure to your problem, but they know Jesus. And, and they want to hear what's going on in your world and call on Jesus together with you for your good. And so at any point between now and the end or even after the gathering, I want to invite you to slip out of your seat and just go to the back and receive prayer from a friend who actually cares. Lord, um, we love you and our hearts are convicted at points because we see some gaps between what we say we believe and, and how we're actually living. But Jesus, thank you that you came to close the gap. And so Holy Spirit of God, as we worship Jesus, will you point out the areas where you're inviting us to own what's ours and to turn towards you for grace and mercy and power to live the way of Jesus. We pray these things in your beautiful name. And everybody said with me, amen.
want to give space uh, to recognize the presence of Jesus. And we all come from different places. So um, if you're newer to our church, we take communion every week because Jesus said, when you gather in my name, hey, don't forget me. You know, it's possible to go to church and not actually remember Jesus. <laughs> you just sing some songs, listen to a talk. And, but th- this focuses our attention, not just on Jesus, but on what he actually accomplished for us. So we eat the bread, remembering it was his body broken for us. We deserve to die because of our sinfulness and rebellion. But Jesus Christ stood in our place and paid our sin debt in full. Do you actually believe that? Have you embraced that? Have you, have you asked Jesus to forgive you of your, your rebellion and give you peace with God? If not, why not right now? And so before we take the bread and before we drink the cup, if you're not yet following Jesus, God loves you and sent the Son to rescue you. And if you'll place your absolute trust in Him and Him alone, you will receive life. And so that's an invitation to you, right? I just invite you to receive him, receive him. And um, you can just say, Jesus, I know that I've sinned and I ask you to rescue me. It's very uncomplicated. Do it now. And then after they ate the bread, they, uh, he passed around the cup and said, this cup is the new agreement. And this agreement is based on my blood, what Jesus did for us. Do this and remember me. And remember, look, uh, if you need grace today, it's, it's in Jesus. If you need a heavy dose of mercy, it's in Jesus. If you need a fresh start, it's in Jesus. If you need power to live the way Jesus wants you to live, it's in Jesus. It's all in him. And so we physically receive to remind ourselves we don't get this from us. It comes from him. So Jesus, we, your people, now invite you to be all that you are in us. God, expose the compromise. God, show us the better way. God, empower us to live the way of Jesus. Even today, we pray in our home life and in our work life, in our together church life. We, we pray these things and ask you to do it in us. In your name and for your sake, we pray. Amen. Why don't we eat?